Thank you, Robin, and I appreciate all of our great praise team and worship leaders that come in every week to help us uh, do all this stuff for our worship and for, as uh, Jamie talked about, this community that we have together. Well, we are five weeks into the book of Ephesians, and as I've shared, Paul is writing to a group of people he cares a lot about. He spent a lot of time with them. And so this church forms in Ephesus and then starts spreading out, and you've got the people that have started forming other churches in and around this seaport town. And, and so Paul, in this writing, wants to accomplish two primary objectives, that if they get nothing else, they understand this. Number one is the power of the gospel message, just what exactly God has done for them through Jesus Christ. And, and the, save, the saving grace and forgiveness that comes through God offering His one and only Son to die on the cross on our, our behalf. And then number two, He wants them to understand, not only is the gospel great, the gospel's for all. You Greeks and Romans, you now have been saved as well by this Jewish Messiah. You've been welcomed into the family of God. God has put out another place setting for you. He's pulled up an additional chair. You have a spot at the table. And this was transformational for these people. This was good news that was going to change the very fabric of the first century church. And so Paul says, I, I'm sitting in this Roman jail for one reason, and that's for you. I'm here for you guys, you Greek and Roman people. I've got your back. And this grace has been given to me, I now pass on to you. It's for you as well that God gives through Jesus Christ. And God's grace will allow you to start doing things different. So in, in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, it, it changes from what we've seen in the first three chapters as to what God has done on their behalf and the sacrifice of Jesus to a focus on okay, we're believers. We believe God has done this on our behalf. What changes for us? And so in the book, it changes from theology about God to what's called praxis or practices. What are the practices that need to be incorporated by the Gentile believers in light of these blessings of God's grace and forgiveness? How can they live differently? So our big idea for the morning is this, considering what God has done on our behalf, how should we live as Christ followers? How do we do this? So the big idea is, considering what God has done on our behalf, how do we live differently as Christ followers? So that's the question we're trying to address this morning. So we've accepted Jesus. Great. Now what? What Paul is going to recommend is this. It changes everything. Paul's going to recommend a total life transformation. When Jill and I got married on October 24th, 1992, I, I had no idea how my life was going to completely change. Well, I knew that my thrift store recliner didn't even make it through the engagement period. No, that, that was replaced with a couch and a matching love seat. Uh, my framed concert and, and music posters that were so awesome there in my living room. 
well, after we got married, they got moved to the second bedroom, right? And one mysteriously fell off the wall and kind of broke, and then they all kind of made their way into a closet, and then they were taken out of the frames and rolled up. Okay, so that became a change. My, my diet changed. It, it was no longer just burgers and frozen pizzas. Oh, there were some healthier options that were mixed in. Foods I wasn't used to eating, but my diet changed. Uh, my money and, and how I spent my time and, and my possessions, well, those became our money and, and our time and our possessions, right? And, and so that began to change as well. And, and finally, my wardrobe even began to change. I asked my wife where my favorite lime green tank top was. And she said, well, it got sent to charity because ain't nobody buying tickets to your gun show anymore. I'm like, you did, right? So I'm like, why does my wardrobe have to change? But here's the deal. 28 years later, my life looks completely different than, and it looks nothing like my bachelor days. Praise the Lord, and thank you, Jill. And I'm so glad that my life has changed because of this transforming relationship with her. And what Paul is saying is it should be this same abrupt change in our life when we come to Jesus. That when we're baptized and put our, our, our hope and our life in Jesus, it's a covenant like a marriage. And it's a covenant relationship where we say, Jesus, not only do I want you to be my Savior, and, and thank you for bringing about my salvation through your sacrifice, I also want to sign up for this lordship. I want you to take over my life. And Paul says, if that's really the case, you're going to have to rethink how you live, right? And so the good apostle believes this, that it starts with identity. How we view ourselves on the inside then starts filtrating out into how we live. So our identity is, is key. And then it flows out to how we live out our identity in Jesus. So let's look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Here's what he says. So I tell you this. Listen up, church. And I insist on it. This isn't negotiable. And I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking. Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to a bunch of Gentiles, right? Well, Gentiles is kind of an ethnic category in, in that it's a non-Jewish person. It's what the Jews called everyone that was not a Jew. But it's also a, a pagan identity. And, and Paul's like, you're no longer, your identity is no longer defined by your ethnic or your national background. It is no longer defined by how you grew up. Remember, we talked about this when you came to Jesus. Now you're part of what Paul calls a new humanity. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of looking at the world. It's a new way of defining relationships that Paul's going to unpack for us over the next couple of weeks. So he says, therefore, he says, what, what, you're, you're no longer a, 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 a Greek or a Roman, but you're a Christian that just happens to be Greek or Roman. And so your behavior should flow out of this new identity in Jesus. 
And so no longer are you to live as this pagan outsider. No, you've been invited to the table, remember? You're now a son of God. Here's your place at the table. Now let's define what it means to be a part of God's family. So let's read on a little bit more. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19, it says, They are darkened in their understanding and, and separated from the life of God, these Gentiles, because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Boy, having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality to so indulge every kind of impurity, and they are the full of greed. So he's like, there's this new life, and it's not this. Paul is kind of describing, if you think about it, a very bleak understanding of humanity. And he's talking about a group of people that have kind of lost their moorings. They've lost their way. And, and they've lost kind of an understanding of what's right and wrong. That, that should be very clear. This is, this is good. This is bad. But now everything's kind of got a little fuzzy. Well, how does a person go from a place where they're good with something that is clearly morally wrong? Well, what Paul says, it doesn't usually happen abruptly. It, it happens over time. To, to where we become desensitized or, or callous to evil or departures from God's will. If you've ever started a weightlifting uh, you know, program or you've ever started to learn how to play guitar, you know it could be painful. If you're learning guitar, your fingertips are not used to doing these things, and so they start to swell up and it becomes very painful to keep playing. Same with weightlifting, especially if you have a new workout bar that has those grips, and, and when you start, it starts leaving lines across here, and your, your hands actually get very chapped and red. But what happens is if you keep playing guitar, if you keep lifting weights, then your body accommodates this new pressure and this new strain, and so you develop calluses either on your fingertips or across the, the top of the palm of your hands. And so it's the same way that Satan works in our life. And, and we find ourselves agreeing to or accepting things that we never would have in the past. I don't know if you heard the story this past week, but a 53-year-old grandmother and her 64-year-old live-in boyfriend were booked on felony charges for endangering a child. After it was discovered, her six-year-old grandson had been locked away in a shed behind the house for several weeks, bound with shoelaces. She would bring him in a little bit of food and a bag for him to go to the bathroom in, but he had been locked in there for weeks. And they asked her, why did you treat your grandson this way? And she was like, well, he was stealing food at night. How do you become so desensitized? How do you become so hardened to the well-being of your own flesh and blood? Paul says it, it, it's wrong thinking. It's a wrong identity. It's a wrong focus. Because as, as humans, what we try to do is we rethink our lives. And, and we rethink what, and redefine what's right and wrong to fit our situation. See, if, if we're living in, in outside of God's will, it's very painful for us. 
And, and the guilt just becomes more than we can bear. So what we tend to do is change what we see in Scripture or, or change what we know to be right or wrong to accommodate our lives. And so it becomes situational ethics, and we make compromises to our own advantage. Ironically, we see the flaws in others and their hypocrisy, but we don't see it in our own lives. And it's all about self-protection. And things that used to be black and white, now they're just various hues of gray. So that's this life of depravity. That's this old humanity. How in the world do we step into our new identity? How do we step into this new humanity? If, if this is where we are, and Paul, I agree with you, we're there, how do we get better? I'm glad you asked because Paul kind of lays out a three-step process for us. He said there, there's three steps to try to live differently. And if you're ready, I'll get into these. Paul says, you know what, you should be know better how to act because we've kind of gone over this. But I, I want you to start living differently. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, Paul says, well, let's get started. He said, you were taught, you know better. I spent two and a half years with you with regard to your former way of life. We talked about you can't keep going business as usual. And we talked about you would need to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires. You've got to get rid of this old man that's still hanging around. The new man can't come as long as the old one is there. And so it becomes, like Paul says, it's like taking off an old garment. For me, the lime green tank top. And, and it, that just has to go away before we can put on something else. And what I would say is, Paul, that's easier said than done. Because my, my whole life up to this point, when I find myself in this situation or that situation, this is how I step into it. And Paul's like, I understand but you've got to get rid of that decision-making process. You've got to realize the choices that you're making are not working. You know, we all have God-given desires, things like wanting to be known and needed. We want to have community. Uh, we want to have acceptance. And, and we want to be sexually fulfilled. You know, all these things are good, and, and they're from God. But what Paul is saying is, don't dismiss these desires, but just fulfill them in a God-honoring way. Put every aspect of your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that you fulfill them in a way that brings glory and honor to God and doesn't take away from your witness. How do we reframe these desires? How do we reframe how we act and fulfill these things? Because if we don't have an action plan, here's what happens. We try to be good for a while, and then we kind of spiral back into our old way of doing things. Uh, the, uh, the writer of Proverbs talks about it's almost like a dog that throws up, and then he goes on, and then he returns to his vomit. And it's like, oh, that's so gross. But the writer of Proverbs is like, oh, that's kind of what you're doing when you're returning in this cycle that you know leads to destruction. But, you know, we, when we're 
lonely. We return to an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend that we know it's not going to end well, but it satisfied the needs for that moment. And, and we feel loved. We feel accepted. Even we know it's destructive. We find ourselves returning to substances that we've abused in the past, and we're like, we know this is not going to be good for us, but it'll help me get through tonight. We find ourselves returning to groups of people that don't have our best interests in mind. And we know what happens last time we spent time with them and how our lives spiraled out of control. But it helps us get through this very trying time. So Paul says step number two to get beyond returning to your old life it comes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23. He says you need to be made new in the attitude of your minds. He's like, it, it's not enough to kind of clean house. Um, Jesus says if you clean house and you don't replace that with anything else, well, the demons you got rid of are going to get other friends. You're going to be worse off in that situation. He said, you've got to start thinking differently. You know, each of us have been, uh, we've been raised or uh, enculturated by patterns of thinking about ourselves. Some are good, some are bad. But we have patterns we fall our, that we fall into. And, and sometimes our identity needs to be changed because if we view ourselves in a negative way, and we don't see ourselves as our Heavenly Father sees, but yet we're buying into the track of someone else, well, then we keep going back into our old ways of doing things. But Paul says, no, you got to start thinking different. You've got to believe a new identity that you have in Jesus. Then how you live is going to follow out of that. How you get by in this world is going to change because Jesus is with you. In Jesus, sometimes we need to strip down who we are. We need to say, you know what, I'm going to get the etch-a-sketch, and I'm not just going to add a little Jesus. I'm going to shake this thing up and get a blank screen. And say, Jesus, I need you to rebuild my identity. I need you to tell me what I need to hear. And we rebuild ourselves. And, and isn't that what we see in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus is like, I'm not here just to be your Savior. I want to teach you about my kingdom. And it's a kingdom in which you're going to live differently. If, if someone comes up to you and, and, and strikes you on the cheek, your reaction is to hop up in a bit of anger and say, it's go time. Let's take it outside. He goes, if you have a new identity in me, here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, I'm not. I'm not going to take the bait. In fact, if you need to hit me over here, that's what my new identity in Jesus and the kingdom I'm now living in. And the king that's on my throne says, this is how I react in this situation. He goes, I, I know in this world you've got to fight to get to the top. But I'm telling you, that's not what my kingdom is. My kingdom is a race to the bottom. Those that have been left out, that have been ostracized, that have been disenfranchised, they're my peeps. They're the people that have been put in my kingdom. Put them first. You go last. But that's so foreign to the world around us. We're fighting for our political and financial interests. What benefits me? Jesus says, oh, no, it's not about you. 
your identity is me, things are going to be different. You're going to be looking out not only for your own needs, but also the needs of others. If you've got two tunics, praise the Lord, give one to the fellow over there that doesn't have any. But I like both of my coats. I don't care, give one to that guy. That's the new kingdom that comes out of the identity that's given to us in Jesus Christ. For us to accept this and start thinking differently, we have to, you and I both, have to own that when we follow our desires and, and, and we react and just kind of bebop from one event to the next and we'll react to whatever's happening around us and whatever our desires are, we have to realize that that's not really working. And we have to realize that when we look in our rearview mirror, what we see is a wake of relationships that have dissolved, a wake of relationships where we brought about destruction and pain in our lives and lives of others. And, and this pattern that I'm going on is not self-sustaining. It, it's not going to work. And we have to realize, Paul says, you've got to own the fact that you're selfish, and you've got to own the, the fact that the ways that you are reacting in each of these situations, are, it's just not working, and it's causing a lot of pain and destruction in the lives of others. You also have to realize there's not enough good compensate for the sin that's in your life. No, we're all sinners in, in need of a Savior. If there's any goodness that's going to be interjected into our life, if our identity is going to change, that goodness is going to have to come from on high. It, it's got to be Jesus Christ and the good news coming into our life. That's where identity change. Because here's what happens. On the cross, Jesus absorbs the train wrecks that we've been causing. These sinful patterns, they get run into. These train wrecks all end up at the cross in each of our lives. And Jesus took them with him to the grave. And the resurrection is not good, just good news for Jesus. And it's not just good news for our hope for the future. It's also good news that our identity can change in this life. That we live into the resurrected way of following after Jesus. So it's not just individuals. We become a community helping one another to live according to our calling that we've received. It's where we come and say, you know what, I'm not going to be defined by the way the world says we should be defined. I want to get together with brothers and sisters that remind us of what we have in Jesus and how we're to live differently. So it's a perpetual and lifelong reorientation towards becoming like Jesus. And it's allowing your mind and your pattern of thinking to be reshaped by the gospel message. Okay? So number one, we get rid of the old humanity. Number two, we reshape our mind. Number three, the final step is this. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, this is what Paul says. He says, once you've gotten rid of the old man and you have a new identity in Jesus, and you're thinking different, you're thinking ahead of time, it's how you're going to react, now put on the new self that's aligned with your salvation. Your new self is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Whoa. Okay, that's huge. 
So we put on a new humanity. What's a new humanity? It's a new version of you perfectly suited to reflect the image of God. But Scripture tells us at first it's going to be cloudy. It's like, I can kind of see God in there somewhere. Over time, that image gets clearer and clearer as we let more and more go of this old way of living. And we take on this new humanity. We become a little more righteous, hopefully by the grace of God. We become a little more holy in our lives. And people start seeing changes coming out and this new humanity coming forward. And suddenly our character begins to change. We become a little bit more like God. Okay, how do we do this? What I would tell you is this both active and passive. What do I mean by that? Well, active, we grab a hold of Jesus. And, and sometimes it's putting an arm around Jesus. Sometimes it's grabbing him around the waist. Sometimes it's diving after Jesus and grabbing a hold of an ankle saying, Lord, <laughs> drag me along. Take me with you. Because when we unite ourselves with Jesus, when we grab a hold of him and say, I don't know where this is going, but I want you. Jesus becomes in me, in me, this perfect version of myself that I cannot imagine ever becoming. And I can't become without him and the spirit of God living in me. So by faith, I get to put on a version of me that I could never accomplish of my own goodness, of my own decisions. It's simply, I've grabbed a hold of Jesus, so it's hard to grab a hold of other things. It is hard to use other crutches when I'm being led in a way that Jesus is pulling me in this direction. So Jesus, therefore, is every day to reshape our new way of thinking. Our job is, is active and that we hold on to the passive things that Jesus is doing as he affirms our new identity in him. So we've also got to surround ourselves with a community that's also giving us this new identity that has the same talk track of what we're seeing. You know, one of the movies that I love that came out a few years ago is called The Help. And, and one of the favorite storylines that's in this is Abilene, the maid slash nanny. And her ministry, as she not only cooks and, and cares for things around the house, is the ministry that she has for Mae Mobley, the little girl she calls baby girl. And how she sees a destructive environment, this old world that Mae Mobley is, is being raised in. And she goes, I want to give you a new identity I want to give you a new talk track to remember you as kind, you as smart, you as important. But we need to be surrounding ourselves with people that are giving us a new way of looking at ourselves based on what we have in Jesus Christ. How do we grow from this text? How, how can we not, how can we just say, well, that was kind of neat. Thanks, Paul. Boy, I hope those Gentiles in Ephesus work this thing out. Uh, remember our main idea for the morning. Considering what God has done on our behalf, how should we live as Christ's followers? L let me give you three ways to live into this. Number one, for some, it's just you need to clean house. You simply do. There's some things that are left over from your bachelor days, from when you were alone. Boy, there's some 
parts of your old life that just need to go away. There's some things that you've got to push out of your life if Jesus is going to occupy more rooms of the house. Because there's no room for the new humanity, as Paul describes it, as long as the old man is still hanging around. So, so we, we've got to clean house. We've got to allow these things to once and for all vacate the premises of our life. And, and here's the deal. You won't begin the process unless you're convinced what you're doing is not sustainable. That is not working in your life. For some people, it doesn't take long. You're like, oh, man, this isn't working. I keep finding myself making the same decision over and over, and it's not sustainable. It's not fulfilling. It's no longer working. Others like Solomon, it takes an entire life. For Solomon, the wisest person to ever live, sure made a lot of mistakes. And what he says at the end of his life is, man, I wasted so much time. I wasted so much money. I wasted so much effort on so many things that are just meaningless. Boys. Girls, y'all gather around. Don't make the same mistakes I did because this life is not fulfilling. This old way of living can never bring about what I finally have discovered, which is fear God and keep his commandments. This new reality that I should have embraced like my father, that's the secret of life. So we've got to clean house. Here's the deal. God is not going to force his way into your life. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm not going to kick the door in. You have to be willing to clean house to allow him to come in. Number two, we've we got to change our way of thinking. And let me give you something practical. What I want you to do over the summer for the next three months is I want you to pray a prayer of thanks for what God has done for you and your salvation. But then also pray a prayer of identity. That this is my new identity based on what God has done through His Son, Jesus. For me, the talk track that I pray through in this prayer of clarity for me, I borrowed from Jesus' baptism and the transfiguration. And basically, as Heaven Father clears open the skies and says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. So my prayer is, I am your beloved Son in whom you're well pleased. Now, is God pleased with everything I do? Absolutely not. But it's not going to change unless I realize I've got a place at the table, that I've got a placard with my name on that, that I too am a son just like Jesus is, that I've been welcomed into this family. And so when I understand that, it's easier for me to hold on to Jesus and live into what this family system looks like. So whatever your struggle is, anger, integrity, selfishness, whatever it is you're wrestling with, take it before your father, but take it before your father as a son or a daughter of the Heavenly Father, as a child of God that he cares for deeply as you care for those around you. Finally, I want you to live differently. Just live differently. That's kind of what the last part of Ephesians chapter 4 is. Paul's like, if you understand this reality, I don't want to keep it up here. Let's talk about how you live. He says first, um, verse 25, stop lying. Just stop it. Be a person of truth. Speak, speak truthfully. 
when you lie, you're just projecting a false image of yourself. He goes, that's old school thinking. That's old man or woman way of dealing with things. That's your old person. I know you're in there for self-protection. But Paul says, dude, just stop it. Tell the truth. Verse 26 says, when you get angry, nothing wrong with getting angry, but it's how you handle it. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all different. We don't get to choose who comes to our church. Well, we're going to have some conflicts and ways of seeing things differently. Paul says, that's fine, but when you get angry, do something about it. Work towards reconciliation. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let the devil get a foothold where he can provide a fissure or a fracture within the body of Christ. Because when you're angry, deal with it in a, in a God-honoring way. Stop stealing. But your old humanity says, do whatever it takes to satisfy your wants and needs. No matter how ethically challenged it may be, how I accomplish that, get what you need. No, the new humanity says, I, I grabbed a hold of Jesus. And sometimes I'm walking side by side. Other times he's dragging me. But if I've got a hold of Jesus, I'm putting my hope and trust in him. And Jesus is turning around when I'm at moments of weakness where I'm wanting to just step aside. He goes, look at the lilies. Look at the birds. I, I take care of them. I'm going to take care of you. Don't steal. Put your trust in God. He said, exchange in verse 29, unwholesome talk. Boy, the words that you're saying are either uh, disparaging people or they're distracting them from the life that you're supposed to be living in Christ. He goes, get rid of the unwholesome talk. Instead, use your words to build people up, to encourage them, to challenge them, to offer compassion and forgiveness. He goes, do all these things. He goes, if you're struggling with bitterness and rage, he goes, don't just say, well, I am, that's who I am. No. He said, put that aside. And instead, God's offering you grace and forgiveness and acceptance. Put these things aside and do what God has done for you. Finally, my last suggestion for you would be don't tackle these all at once. You'll become overwhelming as you move from your old life into your new life. Just choose one and say, okay, this is what I'm going to work on first. And if you're unsure which one from Ephesians chapter 4 you should work on, uh, ask your friends, ask your roommate, ask your spouse, ask your kids. They'll tell you, okay, uh, bitterness, you need to work on that. You know, we come in the room and we hear just overflowing with bitterness. We're, we're tired of hearing that old story about how someone wronged you. Get over it because you're, you're, we're not seeing joy in your life. Ask those around, what is it I need to work on in my life? Finally. We consider what God has done on our behalf, and we learn to live differently. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this challenging text, Lord, it, it's almost like we would rather listen to the first three chapters of Ephesians. We hear all the good stuff that you've given us. But Lord, help us to understand that therefore is a hinge that causes us to walk out of this room of theology where we're understanding what you've done on our behalf. We're walking into a room full of practices and disciplines that come out of our new identity in you. Lord, challenge us, encourage us, pick us up when, when we fall, 
But Lord, help us to struggle with these things. Help us to become a clear image of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.